and we're back with another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 242, aka season 3, episode 62, uh, coming at you this week. As always, I'm your host, Mr. Rich E. Rich, along with MC and Kyle Varner. And I, I don't know who the hell you are, Kyle, or who let you on my show. Uh, so quick introduction, a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, professionally, I'm a doctor. I practice hospital medicine across the United States, uh, but I am also a global freedom fighter, and I spend at least half my time in Latin America fighting against the left-wing totalitarian regimes in Venezuela and elsewhere, and I also practice medicine on the Venezuela-Colombia border. Oh, my. That sounds very interesting, and we're probably going to get into that in a little bit here. Uh, but just in case you're living under a rock, we do do this as a call-in. Uh, you're probably not going to be able to call in this week uh, because we're recording at an odd time. Not that you would anyway, uh, but I give out the numbers so you can memorize them. Uh, 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. That's 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. So I was only half joking, right? Like, you know, I was made aware that you were going to be on the show, Kyle, um, because you just got back from Latin America and had some some stories, some tales to share with us, to share with us. Uh, but I've never met you personally, so I'm not unlike uh, unlike MC over there um, and some of the other people from from back in Hawaii where I did you know grow up and live for a long period of time before moving here uh, to the great state of New Hampshire as part of the Free State Project, the the Liberty Migration, uh, as it were. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, I've never been able to meet you personally. But they said, hey, Kai wants to be on. He's got some stuff to talk about. So I'm just gonna throw it over to you guys and what's going on with you. Yeah. Well. Uh, Kyle's uh, an expert on, on a lot of things, um, he, and he's writing a book about the the medical cartel system in the U.S. and uh, and I guess it's being replicated other places in the world too. Um, but uh, I I just enjoy talking to him so much that earlier today we were talking about the the protests in, in Japan and and how they're uh, re- how they uh, compare to protests everywhere else in the world. Um, so I don't know, like, do you have anything specific you want to talk about, Kyle? Just... Oh, uh, no, I mean, I think my heart is with the people in Hong Kong uh, as they're fighting the, the tyrannical dictatorship of, of Xi Jinping, but I don't think that they have a winnable fight. Uh, and, and then, you know, obviously South America is on fire right now. Uh, Colombia, I'm just getting messages from friends in Colombia that their jobs are, their, their, their restaurants that they're working in, their shops are closing right now early uh, because there's too much uh, violence and chaos in the country. So they, they're all going home to try to stay safe from the, uh, the roving mobs of leftists who are, are, are out to cause chaos. Um, uh, you know, Iran obviously is, is on fire right now. The internet's still cut in Iran. And it's, the world is, is in a state of, of a little bit of turmoil right now. And in some places, that turmoil is because people are demanding more freedom. And in some places, that turmoil is because people uh, are demanding less freedom. And um, Isn't that bizarre? Yeah, it, it's bizarre, but but here's here's what what's happening. Like in in Colombia, in Ecuador, Chile, is you've got these uh, these situations where people have some uh, some complaints. Some of them are legitimate. Some of them aren't. And um, you have a volatile situation. And then what you have is agents from Cuba and agents from the Maduro regime coming there with cash, with uh, different uh, means of of 
of escalating these and they start buildings on fire. They pay local criminal groups to do things like uh, break windows so that the protesters can get in and, and, and loot. So what you have is, is this effort to basically find places that resemble a powder keg and then put sparks onto the powder keg. So uh, I think, you know, if you didn't have the influence of these provocateurs from, from Cuba and Venezuela, you wouldn't be seeing the widespread violence. You'd still be seeing protests, but they'd be much more peaceful. And, um, and so that's, that's what's going on in South America. I think in Hong Kong, it's a different story. And I mean, my message for people in Hong Kong is get out while you still can. Um, you think but, it's going to be uh, that bad when the, when the Chinese government finally cracks down more harshly? The Xi Jinping dictatorship runs concentration camps where they harvest the organs of the prisoners, the Uyghurs. The Xi Jinping dictatorship has uh, been uh, ruthless in their repression of people like Falun Gong. They are always hunting dissidents all around the world, using their families as leverages. These are people without a shred of morality or human decency who will do anything to maintain power. They have the guns. What do you think is going to happen? Well... Obviously, what what happens when those with guns go up against those without guns? Uh, right. However, I but I'm I'm here in the United States. I've made the you know the move, like I said, for the freedom migration. Yeah. Uh, to New Hampshire. Um, why do I care about what's going on in Hong Kong? Aside from the fact that yeah, rah rah, fight for your freedom. We love that spirit. Um, why do I care? And and what can I do if I wanted to do anything at all? All right. So, uh, why should why should we care about freedom, generally speaking, on a global basis? So, from a self interested standpoint, um, when you have a, human beings living under totalitarian dictatorships, their potential as a human being is uh, limited. They don't get to actualize their lives. It means that they won't ever get a chance to invent things. They won't ever grow wealthy and be able to buy things to, uh, from you or sell things to you. And so in a very real way, the uh, uh, potential uh, for you to benefit from their growth is gone. That's one of the things that's so beautiful about capitalism is that when other people get rich, we're better off. When other people invent things, we're better off. But you have billions and billions of people living in totalitarian dictatorships with the absence of economic freedom who can never grow. And when they can never grow, we're deprived of the opportunity to trade with them. So that's the self-interested case. Then there's the moral case. I don't feel free when other people are oppressed. I can't, I, I can't stand to see other human beings oppressed, to have their lives uh, limited in terms of the way they can develop or their lives cut short. And so from a, from a, a moral standpoint or from, from, a, from, a, from my heart, it, my, my heart cries out when I see people oppressed, and I can't possibly stand by and, and look on it indifferently. My, my freedom, in, in, in a very real way, means a lot to me, but it means a lot less when I see other people without freedom. Well, you didn't touch on this in the two examples that you gave in South America and, and Hong Kong, but you initially said that there are those who are fighting for less freedom. So does your heart go out to them? as well no. because they don't they no. don't even want what you're what uh, no, Hong Kong and what we're fighting for yeah. Yeah, no absolutely uh, absolutely not uh, for example the people demonstrating in the streets in Chile are leftists who have uh, basically imbibed of, of this romantic theory uh, about socialism they they're romanticizing Salvador Allende and the hideous history that Chile has with communism and they want to create a communist state they want to abolish private property in Chile they want to nationalize industry they want to create a giant uh, uh, state uh, controlled economy 
And when they do that, what's going to happen is you're going to see the wealthiest country in South America enter a downward spiral and create a humanitarian uh, a humanitarian crisis. So no, I think those people are are plainly evil. I, I, I don't think there's any other way to describe that. They're, they're either misguided or they're evil. And I, I think you'd have to interview each one to figure out which is which. But the go ahead. Sorry. No, that's okay. So the, so the people in Chile and, and, and those countries down there in South America um, who actually value freedom and liberty, um, and I'm going to say capitalism, uh, even though mm-hmm. it, you know it's not the it's not the most polite term uh, in certain circles. Um, what? Why not get those people out? Let Chile fall to the you know to the ex- extreme left socialists out there, and just set up shop and start trading with them wherever what in whichever other country they end up being uh, uh, able to well- set up shop in. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that those that 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 it's a little premature to give up the fight in Chile. Um, you know, they've they've agreed to a constitutional referendum uh, that's going to be in April of 2020. Uh, but that it just starts a long process, and it's a process that I think liberals or libertarians or capitalists or whatever you want to call them are going to have a strong voice in. And uh, it's first of all, it's not a guarantee that that the, the the constitutional referendum is going to be approved that they'll write a new constitution. Then you have to see how how the constitution gets written. And then you have to see how the Constitution and whether that gets approved. So I, I, I don't think it's time to hang to, to throw in the towel. Uh, additionally, I would say that Chile is really worth fighting for. It's the crown jewel of capitalism in South America. You know, it's the it's the, this example of a tremendous success story. You know, Allende came into power. He destroyed the economy. It was the poorest country in, in South America. People were dying. Uh, infant mortality was high. Uh, they got rid of Allende, and then they instituted a series of economic reforms that resulted in wealth just going through the roof, in child mortality, infant mortality dropping 50% in five years. And today, it's if you look at migratory flow, everybody in Latin America wants to move to Chile because it's the best place in Latin America to be. So there's, it's, it's worth fighting for. It's, uh, it's definitely worth fighting for. But there's a lot of, of very radicalized leftists who want to tear it down. They may be Chilean, but they don't love their country. They hate it. Uh, they hate it because it stands in stark contrast to the misery of places like Cuba and Venezuela. Uh, but I think it's worth fighting for. Uh, it shows what capitalism could do, even if it's not practiced perfectly. People are more free, they're more secure, they're more prosperous in Chile, and um, that that's something that, that really, really needs to be preserved. Okay, you said it's worth fighting for and needs to be preserved. Um, I guess when I look at it, and I take a step back, and I, again, I'm not as educated in these areas as you, uh, sure. but for, for, for general knowledge, that seems to be the pattern globally, right? Um, uh, extraordinary poverty in some area, followed by some sort of, of capitalistic industrialization, right? That, that makes them, oh my gosh, we didn't realize we could even be this wealthy, um, followed right, by right. now we need to go socialist, and then it, it just takes a turn in that direction. Um, and so I would, you know, uh, how do I want to phrase this? I don't see a. I personally wouldn't see a problem with abandoning ship when it starts to go in that direction and just migrate towards another country or another geographic area that's on that upswing towards free market capitalist industrialization and ride that wealth wave over there from an individual perspective. Right? I have no ties to Chile. Uh, I have. I have no real ties. Uh, you know, like emotional ties to any geographic area. Uh, on the on the planet, um, yeah. So I just just yeah. go where it's, yeah. go where the getting's good, um, as yeah. long as you're uh, mobile. 
Yeah, as, as an individual, I think that's really uh, uh, a very good strategy if it works for you. But here, but here are some caveats to that strategy. That is that when you're in a wealthy place, your labor is worth more. Your skills are worth more. Uh, very, very literally, you'll be paid more. Um, and um, you're uh, going to have certain economy, uh, economies of, well, they call it economies of agglomeration when you're in a big city. So when you're in a, a large, wealthy place, you're more productive. So if you decide that you're going to go somewhere, I don't know, maybe Estonia is a place on the way up, maybe somewhere in Eastern Europe, or maybe um, it's actually kind of difficult to find uh, places right now that, that – um, uh, that would be like that, but you go somewhere that you think is going to be uh, on the on the upswing. That's great, and you have certain profit opportunities because of that. But if especially you're, if you go in with the wealth that you've already accumulated right. from the from the last one. Absolutely. But at the same time, if you're, say, a professional like me, well, uh, uh, I'm, I'm a doctor, well, my wages are going to be highest in a wealthy, in an already wealthy place because people are able to pay for those things. They're able to afford the, the things that I need to do my job, like medications and diagnostics. So there's, so it's not going to work for everybody. It's going to work for some people. But I would even tell, I would say, if you have your life set up in Chile, now's the time to, to probably dig in and fight. Uh, it, it's to get involved in opposing the constitutional right referendum that's going to come up is going to it, if the constitutional referendum passes is to get involved in getting uh cap, capitalistic or pro-market or liberal or libertarians into the constituent assembly and then if the constitution is really really horrible it's to get involved in trying to defeat the constitutional referendum we're still several years out from a time when you would need to say okay now it's time to abandon ship look if they if they pass a constitution that eliminates private property that uh is is you know a, a kind of anti-capitalist constitution that you would see out of Venezuela or or like Bolivia or something. Yeah, yeah, that it's time to abandon ship, and I would tell people get out. But I don't think I don't think it's fait accompli right now. Uh, I don't I don't think that the general public is necessarily on board with the violent mobs who have been tearing down civil society in Chile. Uh, and so uh, it's it remains to be seen, uh, and I think there's still time to be able to salvage the situation. Okay. Fair enough. Um, I know, uh, again, I'm, I'm going to bring this up because it's the only thing I have that's relatable at the moment. Um, sure. I moved for the here for the Free State Project. Um, I, uh, amongst uh, high-ranking community members here, and I know I used that term in the last show. I'm, I'm going to try to use it a little bit differently this time. Um, people that have, have moved a while ago, that have ingratiated themselves in the community, um, that, that uh, are active within the community and within the political sphere, um, it's not personal but my type of of activism as it were is kind of frowned upon and looked down upon because i'm not political at all right like this is the anarchist experience i don't involve myself uh, with politics so when they skim me like we gotta we gotta go uh you know, wave signs down at you know the state house or sign this petition i'm like no that's your thing so they they consider me and i i don't mind the label like a do nothing mover Right, because I made the move, I fulfilled my obligation, um, but I'm not I'm not active in like uh, in political protests here. And one of the reasons why I'm not uh, particularly active is because I'm not a political guy. Right, I don't I don't believe that one um, begs their master for freedom and for liberties. So I'm like, all right, wake me up when this gets serious. Right. Like a big one. I'll, I'll give you a quick example because this came up um, today recently and I chose to bite my tongue, at least on social media, to not rock the boat with uh, 
you know, the, the established presence here in the state. Um, so in the, in the city that I live in, they're, they're, they're looking to put up surveillance cameras, um, on like the main, on the main strip downtown, like on, on main street downtown, uh, the city is looking to put up cameras. And so there was, there was protests, there was petitions, there was a lawsuit, um, that come to find out today was lost, right? Like, uh, the, 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 the activists who filed suit against the city for privacy reasons, like lost their challenge. Um, uh-huh. so the city's got the go ahead to go put up their surveillance cameras, right? Like more tyranny, less freedom, less liberty for all of us. Right. And like, Oh, what are we going to do? Well, we got, we have to keep fighting. Right. Is, is the, is the word from on high. Um, uh, and personally I go, well, just, when they put up the camera, just tear it down. Right. Just target practice. Climb, yeah. Target, climb the pole spray paint it, do whatever, right? Like, let's, let's get some guerrilla activism going on where, you know, for, you know, the, 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 the black and red anarchists would say like direct action, right? They put up a camera, we take the camera down. What's the, mm-hmm. then it's, then it's just an arms race of how many cameras can they put up before how many cameras can we take down rather than all the cameras going up. And then all we're doing is like waving signs and writing our legislature. Um, oh yeah, so, yeah, Absolutely. So if, so if it's not ready, if it, you know, so to take this back to Chile, uh, if it's not quite ready to fight because, you know, it's, it's go out there and stop this constitutional referendum from going through, like, when does the real action take place? Like, when is it really time to, to get out there and, and do something to take your freedom, to take your liberties from those trying to withhold them from you? Yeah, well, now, I mean, now is the time to take those steps, right? If you're a Chilean, uh, I would tell you, keep very little money in the bank and keep very little money in Chilean pesos, which is going to be a devaluing currency. Buy gold, buy Bitcoin, buy other forms of crypto. You should strongly consider whether you want to have large amounts of your wealth in land in Chile, since that's going to be a problem. Make it hard for them to take things from you because they want to take things from you. And uh, that's that's an important step to be taking right now, because when they come to nationalize the land, um, if that's what they're actually going to do, you know, they come to nationalize the land at that point. Yeah, you have to, uh, you know, you have to think about, okay, well, how do I get out with my wealth preserved? And you're not going to be able to unless you took steps probably now ish within the next year or two, uh, you're not going to be able to get out totally intact. And then, of course, you know, what then becomes the question, well, what do I do? Oh. If you're still there, they take it. Oh, um, go, go back like 20 seconds because you, your audio cut off sure. and I didn't hear what you said. All right. Well, I was I said that if uh, if you're if you're worried if I am about the future of Chile and you're Chilean, you shouldn't be keeping much money in the bank in Chile. You shouldn't be keeping Chilean pesos. You should be buying gold. You should be buying Bitcoin and other forms of crypto. You should really be looking into another passport. Uh, you should be taking these steps so that you're able to opt out when you're able to, when, when the time comes. And by the way, all the free staters, I love you. You need a second passport. It's very important because we can't be sure even that the United States will always be a wonderful place for us. And if you look at the people of Venezuela who are trapped inside right now, it's because they don't have passports. And the Maduro regime makes it hard to get a Venezuela 
Venezuelan passport, not that it really is valued for anything anyway. So, you know, work on a second passport. Panama for Americans is a great option. Uh, I'm not totally familiar with all of the options for Chileans, but I think Panama is another option for Chileans. And um, there are, there are going to be other options. Canadian, work on getting a second passport. Make yourself more liquid. Uh, keep you. Yeah, keep your money abroad if you're able to make it so that if they change the constitution and try to confiscate your wealth, you can give them the middle finger rather than hand it over. And uh, I think that's an important step that people need to take to protect themselves. And it's also a step of activism, right? It's 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 the same kind of resistance, but it has to be planned. Uh, you have to start planning it right now because if they pass a new constitution and then you decide to get your money out of the bank, it may be too late. You know, in Argentina has, I believe in the last 10 years, it's like five times where they've just confiscated people. Uh, uh, percentages of everybody's bank accounts and they always like basically freeze the bank accounts for a few weeks then they announce how much they're taking they take it and then they unfreeze the bank accounts so you have to anticipate that uh and right it's not coming around the corner as long as Pinier is president i don't think that's going to happen but you know michelle bachelet is president and they have a new constitution uh which this could happen in five years yeah we you, you're going to need to protect yourself and you need to start making plans to protect yourself now but that's not unique to chileans everybody needs to start making plans to protect themselves from their government. Well, let, let's let's be specific about Chile real quick because you said, you know, you might not want to invest in land um, in Chile right now. Did, did I hear that correctly or am I Yes, I would. Oh okay. yeah, yes, absolutely not. I would not purchase land in Chile right now okay. because there's a strong political movement to attack private property in Chile. How do you you don't buy land if you're not sure it's going to remain yours? Well, okay, so number 1, that's hard to do anywhere. Uh, how, are are you familiar with um, Fort Galt, by any chance? Like, does that, does uh, that ring a bell? This is a real estate project in Chile by some libertarians. Yeah. So that's that's yeah. the only that's the only connection that I have to it. I and I looked at and I looked at what they had to offer at one point in time. Um, I follow them uh, very infrequently on social media. Uh, excuse me. But how does if if the but it's a real estate project, right? It's like buy land in Chile yeah. to have a, a to have a common area for liberty minded individuals to move to with the common cause. So if you're mm -hmm. saying that now is not a good time for that, uh, how does how does the political climate affect uh, move here projects such as that or in, intentional community? Yeah, oh, I, I don't think yeah, I don't think anybody's going to be able to sell land right now in Chile at anything other than a substantial distance. Uh, to speculators, because uh, why would you? So, so you know, you mentioned like it's true anywhere that you can't be hundred percent sure that property is yours. That's correct. But in the United States Constitution, private property has strong protections, and we have strong jurisprudence protecting them. It doesn't mean it's ironclad. People do lose their property unjustly, uh, and, and but it's secure in a way that it's not secure when leftists are trying to rewrite your constitution. And, and so, I, I would go a step further. Don't invest in Chile. Don't invest in Chilean companies right now. Don't buy the Chilean peso. Not not anybody would buy it. It's kind of a difficult currency to buy anyway, unless you're like they're using it to spend money. Uh, but don't buy the Chilean peso. Don't buy land in Chile. Don't invest in real estate projects in Chile because there's too much uncertainty about the future of the rule of law in Chile that will protect you. Okay. So at what at what point does it settle in then? Like if the if the referendum passes, then is it okay? Or if it doesn't, if it gets uh, if it gets rebuked, then is it okay? Like what what has to so, happen so, there to make it yeah. to make it uh, more yeah. appealing? Yeah. For people like you know for the the Fort Galters who want to live in an yeah. intentional community yeah. so away from the April, United States. 
Yeah, so April 2020, they'll have a constitutional convention, uh, sorry, a constitutional referendum. And that's a referendum about are we going to rewrite our constitution and then how are we going to rewrite the constitution? There are a couple of different options in the referendum about the ways. If the referendum comes back, hey, we're not rewriting the constitution, then uh, what I'd want to see is I want to see stability on the streets restored because the leftists will come out with another wave of violence. And if stability on the streets gets restored at that time, point, I would say, okay, now I think, you know, it's probably uh, uh, safe uh, that, that this kind of attempted coup d'etat by the left has failed. But if the, and if it wins, that's a different story. Uh, you, you know, it, it's going to be a, a bigger problem. And then the other question we have to ask ourselves is to what extent are the Maduro, does the Maduro regime persist? Because the Maduro regime is doing Doing a lot to promote these kinds of things in terms of acts with their agents in terms of organizing and all as as is the cuban dictatorship so we have to ask ourselves what's the financial status of the cuban dictatorship and what's the the viability of the of the venezuelan dictatorship in terms of promoting instability in the region they're destabilizing forces in the region which should make a rational investor less willing to invest anywhere in their targets and their targets right now and this this makes me very sad because i love these their targets are colombia uh, Chile, uh, Ecuador, uh, those are the, the three main targets. Um, and, and Peru, to, to some extent, they've done some things in Peru. Uh, but we, we have to, to look and ask ourselves, well, what's going to happen? Right now, Colombia's on fire today, right? Lots of mass demonstrations. Nobody knows what's going to come of this. Is the, are they going to be able to reestablish peace in, on the streets of Colombia? Is uh, Ivan Duque, the president of Colombia, going to finally put on his pants and take military action against the Maduro regime? Or is he going to sit there with his pants around his ankles and whine for Uncle Sam to come do it, uh, that, uh, which is never going to happen? What, what's, what, uh, what's going to happen in the region? Right now, there's uncertainty, and uncertainty is not a place you should put your money unless you're getting a substantial risk premium. All right. I want to take a, a giant step back because we've, we've thrown out the term, um, you know, uh, kind of willy-nilly over the last uh, 25 minutes or so. And that is, you know, the problem with leftists in the region uh, in, in South America. Is it, is it only a problem with the leftists? Because when, when, you, when you throw out the term like that, uh, it seems like, you know, it seems like a very partisan issue, right? Like and then, mm -hmm. then it, it draws the line between the left and the right. And in South America, it's the left that is the absolute problem. So I, I want to yeah. give you the opportunity to... Uh, sure. I'm going to say define terms a little bit. Like what what do you mean when you're talking about the South yeah. American leftists, number one, and then why don't we see that problem coming from the political right? Uh, or if you do see problems from the political right, what are some of the issues you see coming from that aspect of things? Absolutely. Absolutely. So when I say left, it's not right now. The problem in South and Central in Latin America in general is not the left versus the right. It's the radical left versus everyone else. There's an organization called the Sao Paulo Forum. The Sao Paulo Forum was founded by Fidel Castro in the 1990s. They had their first meeting in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and it was a meeting of revolutionary socialists. And it's important here, the word revolutionary socialists. We are not talking about social democrats. We're not talking about people who just want to kind of expand government spending or regulate an industry. We're talking about uh, people who were Marxist guerrillas trying to overthrow governments and bring about a communist utopia. Uh, funded by the Soviet Union, all these people. They laid down their arms in the 1990s because they realized that their campaigns of terrorism and guerrilla warfare have failed, but they didn't give up their goal. 
And so they decided that they're going to go into politics and they're going to try to take control of governments via democratic means and then burn those democratic means and impose their revolutionary socialist dictatorships. And that's well, really important. We, okay. we have to, I'm gonna uh, we have to understand. I'm going to stop you right there. Sure. Just, just to hit this point, isn't that, uh, especially here in the United States, isn't that what radical revolutionaries are always told to do? Work within the system and then make your changes from within. Right. And if you're saying right, but- that those revolutionaries went down there and got, you know, got into politics as they're instructed to do up here, affected change from within as they're instructed to do up here, and then those are the results that they're able to achieve, like, what's the problem? That's exactly what everyone's yeah. calling for. Well, Do it from yeah, the problem. Well, the problem is that they are destroying the rule of law and they're committing crimes in order to do it. And to give you an example, they're, they're a global network now, right, funded and they have state sponsorship. So every government that has somebody from the Sao Paulo Forum in power is kind of giving the government's resources to the other Sao Paulo members to try to get into power. But then they commit crimes and they engage in bribery and corruption in order to tear down the democratic institutions that preserve that society. So I don't consider that working within the system because working within the system means respecting courts but that's not what happens in bolivia or in venezuela when the courts ruled against the dictatorships the judges were imprisoned or chased from the country and replaced with loyalists so what you see is this destruction of the of the structure of the democracy with a, a tremendous wave of organized crime you know in venezuela uh, and in bolivia to some extent there are organized groups of armed people who uh, who were created to be basically the dictatorship's army that's separate from the other army. They're loyal to the dictator, right? They call him in Venezuela, they call him the colectivos. In Mexico, AMLO's working on creating this. And in Bolivia, he he did something similar with the unions, uh, although not nearly to the, the degree they did in Venezuela. So we're talking about this very cynical abuse of the democratic process. And uh, when so I, and I think we've learned enough about people associated with the Sao Paulo Forum today to know that it's a game and they're playing us for fools if we think that that they're just we're going to normalize them and treat them like normal political actors because they're coming to power through the democratic process the next step is tear down democracy for them i'm okay with that too tear down democracy i'm not a big fan of democracy right i want well when you and and replace it with uh, with a totalitarian socialist state well no replace it with nothing so here's here's my critique on this right because this, is, this may be a moral and an ethical question for a lot of people, right? When, when I hear what you're saying, I go, God damn it. Whatever they're doing to get their end goal is effective, right? We, the, the, the anarchists, the, you know, the, the right anarchists, the, uh, the anarcho-capitalists, whatever, libertarians, liberty-minded individuals, freedom fighters, right? We lose a lot, um, and I, I, I will say that that's typically from bad tactics, right? So how can we, the freedom fighters, the liberty-minded individuals, the, the anarchists, uh, you know, the, the ANCAPs, how can we mimic the tactics of those in South America that are winning, tear down the government, tear down democracy, uh, and, 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 but don't replace it with the socialist totalitarian regime? Just like... It's gone, and you know now. Now we're free, right? Welcome to freedom, everybody. Uh, 
but it doesn't seem like anyone wants to, they go like, oh, we, we can't use those tactics. Those are the tactics of the left. Those are the tactics of the socialists. Those are the tactics of the communists. But if everything's pushing in that direction, uh, why not use those tactics and just move the goal uh, to, to freedom and liberty uh, and, and use those tactics as a path to get there? Well, I would argue very stridently that the number one thing that protects freedom in any society is institutions. And that would include an anarcho-capitalist society. They wouldn't be state institutions. But to give you an example, right, the, the, most, the most common example of an institution is an independent court. And by the way, an anarcho-capitalist society would have independent courts. But they would uh, they, be they voluntary be, independent courts. Yes, of course they would. They would, but they would, but they would, but they would be an institution baked into the culture. Private property is something that would exist under anarcho-capitalism, and it would be an institution because it would be baked into the culture. And and I mean, you know, for example, the blockchain under anarcho-capitalism is an institution. It's the first anarcho-capitalist institution we've had. I'm of the belief that you build anarcho-capitalism out of liberalism because what we need is more technology, more advancing freedom, and more means of people to take care of and protect themselves. So I don't believe that you can tear down institutions and get freedom. Instead, what I think you have to do is you have to build institutions apart from the state, like the blockchain, which is the first anarcho-capitalist institution. So you have to understand that they're not tearing down the government. They are building a totalitarian state. What they're doing is tearing down the institutions that take that, that put checks to their ability to, to maintain power. If if we decide that we're going to start tearing down uh, institutions, what we will do is we will unleash uh, uh, the, uh, a more powerful government that will be at the whims of whatever uh, person is, is most effective at being a demagogue. And in Latin America, that's probably going to be a leftist, uh, but it could be a right a right winger. I mean, you know, Bolsonaro. Well, that's in, in always Brazil the fear. Right that's the devil, you know, versus the devil, you don't know argument, which always keeps people stuck in the status quo. And, like, and well, I prefer- we, don't, we don't want roving gangs, but we're okay with the gang that we have now. Because no, I'm not be okay with the worse. gang that we I'm I'm not okay with the gang we have now. Most people I want to build I, I understand that. And so what we have to do is we have to build institutions that protect individual rights, regardless of what public opinion is, regardless of what the government, or if you want to call it a, a criminal gang, uh, what, but regardless of what they think, we have to build those institutions so that we can enjoy freedom and be protected from those things. And yes, we can build institutions separate from a state. That's the challenge we have if we want to build anarcho-capitalism is to build institutionality apart from the state. And once we do that, the state will become unnecessary. But until we do that, the state will be inevitable. And uh, and I don't want to say necessary; I say inevitable, because uh, criminal gangs will pop up. The question the question for building a an anarcho capitalist society is how do we have a place free of a dominant political gang? And and the answer is we have we have a lot of work to do in terms of building technologies and institutions to enable people to protect themselves to enable society to function peacefully without having a dominant uh, gang enforcing things. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, I I agree with you in that aspect. Right, some would call it agorism, which we're we're a fan of that term on this show as well. Unfortunately, what I see, especially again here in New Hampshire. Um, is people working within the current infrastructure, within the current institution, to to do that change from within thing, right? There's there's not a lot of people working to build the parallel structure, uh, you know, the 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 agorist 
facilities or court systems required. Uh, here's the thing. Every time something like this comes up, right, when I have like a, a brand a, a brand new idea, um, I just throw up a page on Facebook to kind of bookmark it, right? I go, well, what's what's the alternative uh, to, to courts? Well, you need arbitration services, right? So I'd be like, bing, I've got like my own, you know, Ancapistan's number one arbitration service is like some, some shitty page that I run on Facebook. It's useless. It's just a bookmark, right? Oh, what what we need, you know, we need uh, uh, security services, Bing, you know, Ancapistan's number one security service uh, as a bookmark, they're on Facebook. But where, anywhere in the world, are these uh, parallel institutions, right, these, these agorist institutions, building on a level that's actually competing with the state? Because what I see most people is, you know, when they, they throw out the term agorist, they're just black market entrepreneurs, right? They have, they have their one little yeah. product that they really want to sell. And more power to them. Like I'm not, I'm not disputing that or disparaging people for mm -hmm. doing that aspect of it. Right. But I don't see anybody working on institution size endeavors to replace no. the state or to make the state yeah. obsolete. Are, are you familiar with the Augur Project? I'm not. Please fill me in. Okay, so the Augur Project is a project uh, which, uh, is uh, to create a distributed blockchain-based prediction market, and I think they're they're now no longer the only project doing this. But the interesting thing is that they created, uh, with their coin and their their rules, they created a system whereby you can have a trustless judgment of reality input into the blockchain. And I could explain game theory, but basically what it is is that that they could have a very high um, a very high degree of confidence that the um, the the, the the, they call it oracles. Or I think that's what they call it. Um, the 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 people putting the information into the blockchain are doing it correctly. And this is in the context of saying, did an event happen or did an event not happen? But it's the first step in building what I would say are the most tr trustless and reliable courts with self-enforcing contracts. So I'm I'm really excited about that. That's huge, and and Augur's a huge project. Uh, uh, it was one that I was involved in as in uh, in the initial phases, but I haven't been involved in. The last couple of years but uh it's it's one that's that is huge and and can, um can uh, amazing things i'm interested for in in so many different way permutations of the blockchain i think the blockchain's huge it's like self-enforcing contracts are huge the oracle systems that people are developing are huge and i don't i don't know that we've seen yet the killer app but uh, i think we will uh you know it uh, it's not going to be long, and you're going to see uh, also probably uh, uh, in terms of smuggling, you're going to see technology used that's going to revolutionize that, and it's going to enable um, even international drug smuggling to be done in ways that are trustless. And when you see that, you're going to see dramatic well, drops in violence. Someone and still has to do the smuggling, right? Like you, you can't you can't smuggle heroin across the border on the blockchain. Well, uh, but you can, for example, get a small sailboat that's actually a an autonomous drone and, um, and is connected via some kind of a satellite link to the blockchain, and you set it in the water, and then you put the sailboat, it's, uh, you're, suppose you're from, I don't know, you're in Jamaica, and you set this drone full of marijuana in the water. You put it on the blockchain, and then you sell the drone, and then you let the buyer take over the drone when it's in, you know, in the middle of the water. You never meet the buyer. And right. uh, as a result, violence goes way down, and you probably also have reputation management systems, which means you fix a lot of problems at the black market. Okay. Uh, these who are settled, exciting things that I see. Who settles the dispute when the, when the buyer gets the drone to his property uh, and there's no marijuana on board?
Yeah, so that you you would probably have a reputation system um, that would that would di disincentivize that, and you might also have, uh, for example, assurance contracts. So an assurance contract is a mechanism on blockchain that I quite like, uh, which is uh, so, so. Suppose you and I are just buying and selling something, just normal. I don't know. I'm buying a computer from you. Sure. And we're doing this blockchain assurance contract, and so I send the money to um, I send the money to you. Uh, so sorry to a, to a contract, right? Sure. That uh, is like an escrow contract, but there's not necessarily a third party involved. And you put uh, a certain amount of money in the contract as well to assure your honesty, for example. So maybe I put five hundred dollars in the contract, you put a hundred dollars in the contract, and then uh, you send the computer to me. I get the computer and I'm satisfied. Uh, then I release the money in the contract and it all goes to you. If I'm not satisfied, I can't get any of the money back, but at least I can screw you. Um, and, and you combine this with a reputation system and you're going to see high success rates. 99.999% of people are going to have success rates in resolving their, uh, uh, their commercial disputes. And it's going to be done between the two parties plus the blockchain. There's not going to be a third party arbiter. So, um, so and, in, in your example, uh, again, so, sorry, let me just stop you because I want to, I want to stop you when I, when I have a question about sure. your example. Um, in your example, you said, if you're not satisfied, you can't get the money back, but you can screw me. Right. So mm -hmm. if, if you don't if you say I got the I got the computer, but I'm not satisfied, I'm not releasing the funds. Right. Mm -hmm. Then where do those funds go? They don't go back to you. They don't go to me because they just sit not there. Satisfied. They just sit. They just so, sit there. We both lose. And so there's a strong well, incentive for we us. Both, we to both sort of lose. lose because you can you can get the computer, be satisfied, claim you're not satisfied, have the computer and then mm -hmm. the funds just disappear. Like you yeah. basically or I could, for I example, have, have I could, or I could basically overpay, uh, and also, and 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 uh, in the beginning, and then when I approve the funds going to you, I also get a certain discount of a good faith deposit, a return from my of my good faith deposit. There are a lot of ways to work this. I'm convinced that the combination of blockchain plus uh, these kind of smart contracts uh, is is it's absolutely possible to have trustless transactions that don't require any arbiter to get extremely high uh, success rates. That especially when you develop some kind of a reputation system. Um, I mean, you know, I purchased, I, I probably have purchased near $30,000 worth of random crap on Craigslist over the last 10 <laughs> years. You know, it's stupid, right? But, you know, I've hey, never my, had a problem. eBay, man. Yeah, but I've never had a problem. Uh, I mean, I've had a problem, like, for example, I didn't like, uh, for I, I bought a generator and then it didn't work when I got it home and I called the guy and said, hey, it doesn't work. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, let me give you your money back, right? So I, I, at some point, I'm willing to accept like that, that at, at some point I could get screwed, right? But it's a really, really small chance of getting right. screwed. And uh, by the way, that chance exists with courts too. You know, the judge doesn't always get it right. And, right. and even, and if you go to court, and the judge rules in your favor, you're probably still out a bunch of money. Like you're probably still lost. So I would argue that we should, as a society, as people, not as a society, but as people, we should prefer to develop trustless ways of peer-to-peer of -peer con uh, conflict resolution that don't involve lawyers and courts, but that just involve us uh, at realizing that there's always going to be these kind of small instances, you know, very rare instances of failure, but that it's going to be better. And when we develop that, the, those kind of blockchain-based peer-to-peer things, what we'll see is little by little, courts will become less necessary. And when courts become less necessary, the courts are still going to be there, but they're going to be dealing with things that have to do with the state. Um, so, Which we should I, be I mean, able I'm to really, ignore by that point, then. 
Let's hope, but it's my belief, and I differ with anarcho a lot of other anarcho capitalists about this. I believe we we evolve into anarcho capitalism from liberalism or classical liberalism. I don't believe that we could tear down the state and be left with anarcho capitalism. We have to build anarcho capitalism. It's the next phase of civilization. It's not the preceding phase. We don't tear something down. We build up to it. That's that's the way I see it. Well, the, the build up to it has to include the transfer away from the existing model. Right. The reason of I'm course, okay. I'm, I'm, of course. The reason I'm okay with tearing down the existing model uh, is because it's unsuitable for human evolution. Right. Blockchain, fine. Technological evolution, fine. But the the current model doesn't get us there anyway. So I think we've made tremendous strides towards a more free society in let's just say the last thirty years. To give you an example, the average global tariff in nineteen eighty was about twenty eight percent. Today it's eight percent. Fifty five percent of countries practiced conscription in nineteen eighty. This year it's forty percent. Um, we have massive, massive privatizations. If you look further back in history, we used to believe in the divine right of kings. We used to believe in women as property. We used to believe in slavery. Yeah. And now we don't. And so I see we are on the right side of history. And I'm... Uh, right. But I, if, you tell I, down, so, if you tear down the state institution, all that happens overnight instead of over generations. Uh, I think you... So if you tear down the, the state institutions without building anarcho-capitalist market institutions in their place, I think you just get another state and it's probably more despotic than the one we have. You have to build the institutions while you're tearing down the state or before you tear down the state. I, I would prefer to build the anarcho-capitalist institutions, show the world that the state function is no longer necessary, and in that way have that state function go away. Yeah, I, and I respect that perspective, but at the same time, if something if something is already existent that is already immoral, there's no reason to keep it in existence while you're working on the moral thing, right? Just get just get rid of it. You know, in my opinion, you just get rid of it, and then let let your anarcho-capitalist structure like fill in that gap, as it were, alongside struggling states fighting amongst themselves to to, to be the one big state, right? It's it's not like the it's not like you get rid of the federal government in the United States and then gangs the gang warfare starts tomorrow right like I don't see that happening I, I don't foresee that happening I wouldn't predict that to it's not like the the MS-13 the bloods the crypts are like oh my god you know there's no federal government now's our chance and all of a sudden there's a mass recruiting run and they're the ones like running the government like I don't see that uh-huh. there's going to be a period of instability a period of chaos and I think that is the sweet spot, right, for for anarcho-capitalists and agorists to put their theories to the test, right? If, you, if you're capable of putting together these institutions to solve these problems that absent the state, that are all voluntary, right, then you're, you're going to be testing your theory against all those other encroaching gangs and the people, right, the, the people who are left governmentless, stateless, oh my God, what will we do? will have the opportunity to go like, well, you, the, the ANCAP's over there. You, you, you have protection services? All right, good. So you can protect us against the gang over here, and we'll use your institutions instead. Right? And you go, yes, there you go. You know? So all of a sudden, you, know, you, you have security available. You, you didn't have it before, but all of a sudden there's incentives provided for someone to say like, no, you know what? We can do free market security. We, we can provide protection services against encroaching gangs. And boom, you 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 prove that yours is better without having to be parallel to an immoral system to begin with. 
And if you don't get, if you can't prove it, right, then maybe what you were trying to do uh, didn't bear out in the marketplace of ideas and institutions. Yeah, or, or it may be that the technology simply doesn't exist at, yet at, in a sophisticated enough form to, uh, to accomplish its goal and that you've torn down the immortal system too soon and what you see is warfare and bloodbath. I mean, uh, I think when you, if you look at revolution, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want my freedom and liberty to be contingent upon technological advances. Unfortunately, they are. Go on. The reality is that if you, if, if that if, and, and it's, and we, we have to, if you're talking about something happening where the federal government ceases to exist, the reality is that, uh, and, and the chaos that results from that, some type of a revolution, the reality is that you will lose freedom and you will lose wealth and you will lose well-being if you, if, if you see this kind of collapse and tearing down of the current structure. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean I accept the current structure is moral, but I, I accept that we have to get more civilized and we have to build things to go beyond that. But when you say you don't want your freedom to be tech, contingent on technological advance, I don't want to either. But I realize that in order to have a functioning anarcho-capitalist society, additional technology has to be developed. The blockchain has to become more more blockchain technologies and more technologies that we don't even know exist today have to develop before we can evolve as a society. The question really becomes, and where, where you and I disagree, is whether anarcho-capitalism can come about as a result of a collapse or whether it has to come about as a result of an evolution. And as much as you may want to be able to have it right now because, because uh, you don't want to wait for the evolution to happen, what I'm telling you is that it's impossible right now uh, without an evolutionary process and technological advancement. Uh, it doesn't mean I don't want it. It doesn't mean I don't hope uh, and work to see the day when we only develop a truly civilized society. You know, they say taxes are the price you pay to live in a civilized society. I think they're the price you pay because you don't live in a civilized society. Yeah, but so just we, get rid we, of it. So you get rid of that it, whole institution, and then what? And then what? Then we got to wait and, for technology. And then, and then, and then, well, then some other like, institution. So then some. I, I don't like to use the word institution, but when I, when I was using the word institution earlier, you know, I was using it in a different sense than the sense you just used it right now. Sure. Um, but I, what I what I would say to you is that it, you collapse it right now, and inevitably some other government will come up. Look, if you live in the border That's of Venezuela and Colombia, I'm not, I'm not going to say inevitably, right? I'm going to say that if it collapses overnight, there's going to be an opportunity to not let that happen, right? It's not inevitable that another government takes its place. It's an opportunity for free people to set the example and say like, now that we've accomplished this goal of tearing down the state, we do not need to build it in its place. Not only do we need to not rebuild in its place, we can now defend ourselves against any other further encroachment because that encroachment is not gonna be nearly as big as the current uh, oversized federal government that we currently have. It's not going to be nearly as big as the state's governments at uh, for any state you live in, right? It's going to be mm-hmm. way more localized and way easier to defend against, uh, you know, uh, marauders and plunder and pillagers because they don't have so the got rule a, of law uh, behind them. Well, you've got a, um, a, a situation in New Hampshire where you have a concentration of liberty activists unlike anywhere else probably in the world right now, and it's Pretty only growing. Uh, and Right. So, uh, so then my question becomes, how many people and what percentage of the population would they be if the government collapsed overnight would be uh, with you on this plan? 
in New Hampshire right now? Not many, because they're all trying to work within the goddamn system, and it's frustrating me here as well. So, so, so then, but, but the 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 answer then is that even in New Hampshire today, it's probably inevitable that uh, that another state would rise up because people who think the way you think and people who think the way I think are in the minority. And as long as we're in the minority, we have a very tall, it's a very tall order to defend ourselves, uh, even, even with guns, because guess what? The statists have guns too, and they uh, are actually more eager to use them than we are. I, and, doubt, um, I don't know about that. I'm fairly, I am fairly eager uh, 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 to defend uh, myself uh, uh, against uh, any encroachment that's not going to put me on the wrong side of the current law, right? Like you, you mm-hmm. remove the legal structure, you re- remove the government, all of a sudden, I defend my property, and I, again, strong, strong contingent of property rights and property respecting individuals here. Uh, they mm-hmm. may be trying to work within the system now, but if you get that scenario where the system is gone, the system is torn down, and I go, no, man, dude broke onto my land, and so I shot him, right? I think that, number one, that's easier to defend against. You don't have state thugs coming after you prosecuting you trying to take your freedoms and liberties away you have people going like well yeah he was trying to come on your land and good for you for defending yourself finally we yeah but then you also have his family who has a different interpretation of that who decides to come for revenge and you have a potential hatfields and mccoy kind of situation but which is easier to defend against other aside from defending against police and military right family members you can handle you can handle them I mean, look, the whole point of, of a justice system, if we're going to have it, is when something like that happens, one person kills some other person, right? We, we say, okay, we're going to let an, a neutral third party decide, and we're going to respect that decision, and it's kind of this, this society, society, society-wide peace pact that we're not going to devolve it to warfare between the Hatfields and the McCoys. And, right, but uh, it has to be and, and we need some, we need a replacement for that, an anarcho-capitalist replacement for that that isn't just like, well, I'm going to tell everybody that he was on my property. Like no, there needs to be a a, a a a realistic way to resolve that dispute that's going to be accepted by everybody to maintain peace in your right. in the society. And and I, I agree. We with don't you have on that. that. We don't have that right now. And and well, we you need do, to develop you, that. You can find there's plenty of arbiters here willing to settle disputes. Yes, but but who who requires you to uh, to obey the arbiter? Uh, no one. That's the beauty of the system without having uh, the violence of the state forcing you to, to go to a certain one. Right. There yeah, is yes, no but requirement. That, but, but in order to quell a Hatfields and McCoy type of family feud slash mini war situation, you have to have some some compulsion to obey the arbiter that you've previously no, agreed to obey. I, no, I'm, I, I, I reject all compulsion. In in the respects that you're talking, someone's going to force one side no, or the other to come to arbitration. It's the it's the same thing as no, I'm not about to come to arbitration to well, to recognize the result. You know, to recognize the result, it's the same way as enforce, same thing as enforcing a contract. Okay, you and I have a disagreement, and we go to and we say, okay, we'll take it to arbitration, but and then the, we go to the. But if the disagreement is a dispute over over or over violence, where there was no contract, there was no pre-existing agreement. There was my property and my defense of it against your encroachment, right? We can we can settle up with your family through arbitration, right? We can we can agree to do that if they agree to not be violent, but they then both sides have to agree to the arbitration. Both sides have to agree 
to to abide by the outcomes of arbitration. Otherwise, and this is where I've I've said this on this show before, and I maintain it, violence is always the answer. It is the final solution to every dispute. What we do as a polite society, and this is why I don't think we're going to divulge into guns and violence and gangs and marauders and whatnot, is most people are looking to live peacefully, right, nonviolent lives amongst community members, right? And so the only way to do that is to find a solution, a peaceful solution, through arbitration, through an agreement or whatever, before it gets to the violence. The only difference with the state is that that institution, the justice system, is compulsory and absent the compulsory justice system, it has to be voluntarily. And if it's not voluntary, then it di- then it, div- it divulges back to violence, right? It goes, it goes right back to violence. And it's always going to be that. Violence is always going to be the underlying factor in any dispute resolution. But Un- most unfortunately, members of society will try to do it before that. Um, I'm going to have, we're going to have to either get an arbitrary arbitrator here or or a, a, some somebody uh, with a gun to uh to end this debate early because uh i think we're running out of time and all right and we, we've got a we've got to get uh kyle to uh, uh another place where he can get cleaned up and uh go to dinner okay. all right well, rich it <laughs> is we had like, a pleasure we had like three more minutes man on my clock we had, like, we had three more minutes. <laughs> we'll wrap it up rich it's, b- it's been a real pleasure to having this discussion with you i think it's a vital discussion that we have to have as anarcho-capitalists how we're going to bring about more civilized society, which at a more peaceful, at a more prosperous and secure society. And I think that's what we all want. Right. And so I really enjoyed our conversation. And, and, and again, to, to end on an agreement, I don't mind building up those institutions parallel to the state. What the, the part of that that I reject is that the state is inevitable, number one, and that or that we cannot just end it, right? It, it's unlikely that we're just going to end the state overnight, which is why it's fine to build up, you know, parallel institutions alongside its current existence. But I reject the idea that it must remain until we're ready or until technology advances. Like as, as soon as we can get rid of uh, compulsion and violence and, you know, involuntary servitude to some sort of state, the better off we'll all be and the better opportunity we'll have to prove that those parallel institutions are viable and as effective as we claim them to be. All right. Well, I look forward to that day. I I look forward to the day when we're able to uh, take functions that are currently the domain of the state and put them into the domain of the voluntary uh, of the voluntary sector, and um, I, I applaud what you're doing uh, as uh, as somebody who's an agorist. I applaud agorists. I think it's wonderful, and I, I think I would I would end by saying that at the end of the day, every school of libertarian thought, except libertarian socialists, every school <laughs> of libertarian thought is all aiming at the same thing, which is a more peaceful, prosperous, and secure world. And uh, when we uh, keep our focus on that, I think we can make tremendous, tremendous strides. We're on the right side of history, and the future is libertarian. All right. Final thoughts, MC? No, thanks a lot. All right. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. You guys know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com, minds.com slash the anarchist experience. And if you'd like to contribute to the show financially, uh, you can do do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchist experience. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll talk to you all next week. Peace.